You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, Adam. Hey, Frankie. You okay? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm very well. God, I haven't seen you for, God, what, three minutes? I know. <laughs> I know. Time flies when you're having fun. We certainly have had fun. We'll get on to that in a minute. Oh, my God. Not just fun. Sexual fun. <laughs> <laughs> just to be clear, everyone. <laughs> what we actually... <laughs> what? <laughs> Something very amazing happened in the past week. <laughs> It definitely wasn't sexual fun in my case. <laughs> Your loss. <laughs> yes, we'll get on to that in a moment. Frankie, have there been any communications we should know about? In yeah, we've had some really good ones. Not okay, that they're great. ever bad. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off with, we had an email from Eugene. Nice. Me, Jean. <laughs> I, Jean. <laughs> we all Jean together. <laughs> we all Jean for Jean. Gene uh, said, Gene, I've just nicknamed him. I assume, I hope that's all right, Eugene. <laughs> we're, we're on nickname terms, right? After one email. Nice. <laughs> Eugene says, Dear Frankie and Adam, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a delight it's been to rediscover David Suchet's phenomenal portrayal of Hercule Poirot. I was first introduced to Agatha Christie in Peter Ustinov's Death on the Nile as a teenager, and I remember very fondly watching it on rainy holiday afternoons with my family. This sense of coziness reminds me of the Danish Hugo. Hugo? Is that how you say it? <laughs> it is. That is how you say it. Hugo? And it's something I treasure very much in my life. Although this adaptation, as well as Evil Under the Sun, are my favourite Eustonoff portrayals, they are really all about P.U. Suchet. <laughs> P.U.? <laughs> Peter Eustonoff, about P.U. Okay, they're really all about P.U. Correct. Suchet, however, continues to bowl me over with his complete transformation into the personification of Poirot. One doesn't notice DS on screen at all. That's so true. He just transforms mm. before your eyes. It's, when you see um, Suchet doing interviews or even talking about Poirot or anything, you do yeah. have to kind of check yourself and you go, my God, you really... Before you wreck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you wreck yourself every time <laughs> you're on the screen. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you do, you do, it makes you uh, even more appreciative of how... How good he is in that role. He just vanishes, doesn't he? Yeah, God, his voice and Mm. everything is just so dramatically different. And Eugene goes on to say, Your podcast has rekindled my love for this series, which seems to be never ending. I love how I'm able to watch the episodes frequently, and particularly with the relatively unknown ones, time and again rediscover who did it. 
keep up the excellent fun and laughter in your pun-filled podcast. And best wishes for 2023 from a sunny South Africa. What? Eugene from South Africa. Wow. Another another corner of the world conquered. That's it. Another one for the tour. We have to add that on to the damn defensive tour agenda. We're going to have to length, add, add some more dates, I think. I think we are going to need a boat. Going to need a bigger mm. boat. E. We could take Jack with us. <gasps> oh, yeah. <laughs> on his Club Med cruise. Mm. Jack of the yard. <laughs> So that was a really nice email. Now let's let's have a bit of a dressing down and uh, a conversation about how we know nothing about men's fashion, Adam. Okay. <laughs> I think from what I wear, I don't really hide that sort of fact under a bushel. Hey, anyway. you look great. Why, your decision to wear a bushel is entirely your business. <laughs> ah, thank you. It's better than a merkin, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But we had a message from Major General Stanley on Twitter, and he says, Dear Adam and Frankie, I wanted to make one comment about something else at the start of The Lost Mind that also indicates something is off about the fake Mr. Wu Ling. I'm a bit of a vintage man's formal wear nerd, and the ensemble he's wearing ostensibly looks like morning dress, the daytime equivalent of white tie, obviously, but there's a number of things that are incorrect about it. He's wearing, if I remember, the cut of tailcoat worn with evening clothes, and an abnormally long one at that in the back, and his hat doesn't quite sit correctly on his head. There are a lot of ways to wear a morning suit, but neither of um, these are one of them. I haven't watched the episode lately and also recall the scene was at night, which is more excusable. Maybe he has come back from a day function that ran late. Maybe. Uh, While these sorts of mistakes could be attributed to sloppiness in the costume department, they're so incredibly good at this sort of thing usually. I wonder if if this is a sort of signal to indicate that it is a man impersonating someone else. Uh, keep up the good work and that's from Matthew and he says P.S. I'm not sure that is a top hat that Poirot wears to the bank. It's certainly reminiscent of one but it looks to me like some sort of weird variation on the bowler which would be appropriate for semi-formal stroller suit that he is wearing which is nonetheless a bit more formal than his usual three-piece suits. I wish I was that knowledgeable to to even offer up any kind of not even a counterpoint but yeah we'll just say we've been schooled but yeah I mean incredibly astute of you mm. you do think you know something's off with ruling the moment he walks in so i, mean, I didn't yeah. really pick up on the clothing but who knows? i tip yeah. my sort of top hat to I you tip <laughs> my tam shanta which is Ooh. what i'm wearing at the moment <laughs> oh it looks nice it suits you thank you <laughs> <laughs> we also had so we may remember a few episodes ago we had a cocktail recipe submitted by Rebecca, mm-hmm. the uh, dirty swine. Dirty swine. If you recall. Yep. Well, I've I've had a few of those, which is why I don't recall. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered bacon why you were chewing on bacon when we started this recording. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. we had a message from Robert Stroud, who says, thanks for posting the drink recipe. If I remember correctly, Frankie mentioned wanting bacon involved in a drink. I want bacon involved in most things, Robert, mm. to be honest. Frankie wants bacon involved in her sexual fun. God, so you've been reading my notes. (laughs) He says, with that in mind, he presents the breakfast shot, right? Go on. This sounds interesting. One ounce of Irish whiskey, 0.5 ounces of butterscotch schnapps, orange juice, 
and cooked streaky bacon you want that crunch combine whiskey and schnapps in a shot glass pour orange juice in a small glass and place the bacon across the glass drink the shot then chase the glass of, with a glass of orange juice and then eat the bacon it should taste like you've eaten pancakes with syrup and bacon wow uh, first of all I don't think I've ever had a drink in my life and thought, mm, this really needed to be crunchier. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I was of one horrible moment thinking, that is so going to curdle when you put all those things in one glass. But I mean, if it's one after the other, then yeah, yeah. it's like tequila. Yeah, it sounds doable. Yes, what's yeah. called the breakfast shot? The breakfast shot. Fine, we'll do that. Just before fine. we, just before <laughs> okay, we have our fine. full English and ale. <laughs> Oh wow, we are. This is going to be how we kick off every day on the tour. We start with one of those breakfast shots. <laughs> that my my kidneys. I was just bragging about we're in mint condition to you. We're not going to be in mint condition. Oh god. Well, um, you'll you'll have to put that on to the uh, on the show notes of this episode as well. Though. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to have our own cocktail book soon, which is very exciting, isn't it? Oh my so. god, a whole recipe book we need to with the, with rabbit. <gasps> rabbit Dilliege. Blackberry Ooh. crumble. Oh my god! We okay, okay. People out there who are listening to this, would you buy this recipe book? Tell us, and maybe we can make this happen. Oh my god! We could totally make a Kindle book out of this. Oh seriously? Yeah, okay. seriously. Leave it with us. Then we also speaking of breakfast-related fun and games. Mike Boyce, who is a, a friend of ours and a friend of the show, he said, "By the way, the pub I live above brews a breakfast porter. Any listeners in Toronto want to join me for breakfast?" I wish I lived in Toronto now. Same. Well, we're going to go there on the tour. Yeah, exactly. I have to walk ten minutes to my local pub. Very annoying. Yeah, that's very inconvenient. Mm. Luckily, you have a lot of alcohol in the house, right? <laughs> to keep no. that 10 minute walk liquid. <laughs> Just to keep you warm on the way to the pub. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so, if anybody wants to meet up with Mike for breakfast, speak out and speak out, speak up and uh, send us photos from your breakfast, please, because we have to live vicariously through you at present yeah. until the tour begins. Also, we had a message from Mail Sinoski who says, Y'all need to do a fan fiction episode and see who can come up with the most offbeat Poirot variant. <laughs> variant is such yes. a great way of putting that. <laughs> uh, how fun does that sound, though? Definitely uh, after hours. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like that. People in the UK will remember there's a, there's a soap in the UK called Hollyoaks and they used to be the late dark. night episodes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were a little bit sexy and they were on after the watershed. And yeah, so maybe we could do that mm. far after dark. It's like when you, when I don't know if anyone here plays video games, but well, I buy video games on um, Steam. There's always a section saying, would you like to see adult content? And you're like, well, I'm an adult. I mean, there are only video games. How bad can it be? And I wish I knew how to un- unselect that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly. We also had a, a very nice message just from Phil Detailing Classic Cars, which is his username. He says, keep up the great work, which is very sweet. Cheers. Thank you, Phil. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. One last thing. just um, I had a really sweet message from Catherine Mooney, who says, thanks again for this podcast. I'm listening to it en route to my dad who's been taken to hospital and nothing is more comforting. Oh. Well, best of luck, and I hope it all went well, and I hope your dad's on the mend. I hope there's nothing Me too, too serious. I have to say, like, permission to get a bit emotional for a moment. Uh, it's so nice that people take comfort in this podcast. It really, it makes it, I mean, we love doing it anyway, and it's super fun, but the fact mm. that people find comfort in it just is the best thing in the world. Mm, yeah, I think that's a very nice, proud achievement to have in 
today's cesspit of work. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's so cynical, isn't it? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I, I love Poirot so much. It's like putting on your favourite coat. It's yeah. like it's like it's like being on the sofa and snuggling up under a duvet. There's something about mm. that moment. It's the taste of chicken soup. It's just all over those things. You know, you're never gonna be appalled or horrified by a Poirot episode, which is no. really nice you got a huge yeah. bank of these stories and they're just there to entertain you and make you feel good and uh thrill you now and then so yeah so i'm really true. glad i'm really really glad that we've managed to hitch our wagon to its legacy Let's- oh very much so yeah we'll ride those coattails those evening attire long coattails Mor- morning or not coat tail yeah <laughs> nighttime or day but yeah i completely agree and it's i always feel like watching poirot episodes is like feels like coming home in a way mm, it's always just feels like home so i'm so glad that we we share our home with so many lovely listeners mm, so it's lovely you're all welcome thank you for all your messages <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of being welcome yeah <laughs> goodness me do you want to do you want to tell everyone what's happened you should tell everyone because you landed it well i was up late one night <laughs> and i thought wouldn't it be great if we could get one of the Whitehaven Four, or all, all of the Whitehaven Four eventually, onto the show. So I dropped uh, a message to Hugh Fraser's agent and said, Hi, would he be interested in coming on to the Labours of Hercule? Here's, here's a link to the show in case you want to listen to how you know awful our voices are or whatever. And um, within, like I think it was a couple of days later, I got a message saying, Hugh said he'd love to do it. So this was last Monday. I mean, it all happened very quickly, didn't it? Very quickly. We got uh, an, e- an email address to contact Hugh and did so. Um, and then within 10 minutes of it being sent, he, I mean, he, he gave us his mobile number and we, oh my goodness, mate, it was very <laughs> surreal, wasn't it? It was Espe- crazy. Especially surreal because we were trying to set up a time to, to have a call with Hugh, as we know him now. Not Mr. Fraser. Yes. We call him, we call him Hugh. Um, <laughs> so, Huey. Yeah. Um, so we were trying to set up a, a time. I had to ring him at one point and <gasps> the, the most thrilling thing ever was having your phone ask him, hello, it's Hugh here. <laughs> Just dying. Just such a gentleman. But we couldn't make timings work. We couldn't make the technology work at one point. Mm. Um, and we kind of given up for the day, hadn't we? It was it was very very upsetting. We didn't really know what to do and we were how, how best to arrange it. And yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, it turned out that all all that it needed was an update for Zoom, uh, which was communicated to Frankie when. <laughs> Her phone rang. There I was, sitting alone at my desk, a little sad and deflated from the failure that we'd had during the day trying to do the recording. Mm -hmm. Uh, And suddenly my phone springs to life and I look down at the screen and Hugh Fraser's name is flashing on the screen (laughs) at me. And I was like, oh my God, has he done this by mistake? Is he has he called the police finally? And he's just trying to ascertain my location. But no, it was the lovely Hugh Fraser. When I answered the phone, he said, "Oh, oh hello, this is Hugh. <laughs> I know who you are. <laughs> I love you so much." <laughs> the best part was he'd already, already forgotten my name, <laughs> which was perfect. <laughs> I'm not worthy of him knowing my name, so it makes total sense. Um, and then yeah, we ended up recording like an hour later. Mm. Yeah, and it was magical. It was. Um, you will have heard the episode by now because we're recording yes. this. Um, uh, you know, to go out a little way into the future. Yeah. But um, yeah, unfortunately, the sound quality wasn't the best it could could have been. Unfortunately, but no. you know, the important thing I think was to have Hugh himself come onto the show and talk about. He was so gracious as well. You know, it wasn't like so he had lovely. something he wanted to push or something he wanted nope. to promote. He just came on to talk about Poirot and what it meant to him. I think we got a couple of moments of 
absolute pure gold, especially when we asked him what his favourite moment from the production was. And he picked this genuinely simple, just just a brief second, wasn't it? He said they were yeah. filming at Evil Under the Sun. They were sat kind of on a, on a, on a cliff top and they were looking out over the sea and one of the cast members was being... Uh, he said uh, he was being ever so funny, and uh, the sun was the sun was setting. They were all in their costumes, and he just looked around and thought, "I'm here with David and Pauline and Philip, and we are all such good friends." And this is one of those moments in life where you just think it doesn't really get any better than this. And it was like, you know what I mean? It was like it was such a such a wonderful little um, recollection. Yeah, he was such a nice man. I mean, he's just oh. such a gentleman. When he was talking, every now and then, <clears throat> I remarked to you afterwards, didn't I? There's this. Mm. Every now and then, he would sort of wait for the next question, and he would smile, and you would instantly go, "Oh my God, there he is!" Yeah, <laughs> Captain Hastings. And the smile on his face when we read out so many of your lovely questions and your your comments that you had for him. Thank you for everyone that submitted one because mm. it really you could tell it made his day, made his night, made his year even mm. to hear that there's still so much love out there for the show and for him and his his performance in particular. It really, the smile on his face, God, it was, it, I could have cried. It was beautiful. Mm. There were sev- several moments where he was genuinely choking up. It was very, mm. it was very, very sweet. Especially when you told him that I have a huge crush on him. Wow. <laughs> he was choking back the vomit that was probably rising. I think not. Like, I think not. I think he was actually typing your name into his phone at that point. So I wish. It. <laughs> saving it, saving the contact because he called me before. <laughs> he doesn't reply to any of my nudes. <laughs> 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 it was so nice to um, get so many questions, con- mm. like so many th- sort of things that you wonder about the Poirot series. Were they all good friends? What did yeah. you actually think of the Lagonda? What did you think of the writing? Was the chemistry really and all this kind of thing? Yeah. He was just like, you know, God would. We're the best of friends. We still talk. The Lagonda was the a dream. very personal, you know, machine for me and everything. It was just like, it was like speaking to Captain Hastings. It and was. the best thing was, he wasn't there to, like, as I say, he wasn't there to push a book. Yeah. He wasn't trying to get off the subject. He wasn't trying to talk about what he's up to these days. It was all, no. I am Captain Hastings for as long as you want me to be. Ask me anything. And it nothing was, was on it. It was, yeah, he was such a lovely, lovely man. And also the way that you could tell the way that he talked about his relationship with David Suchet in particular and mm. the, the, the relationship between Poirot and Hastings, you could see how much it meant to him. And oh God, oh, it was so beautiful. And mm. hopefully we'll get him. But he said he'd come back. He said he'd come back, everyone, if we can get him mm. for a future episode. So hopefully we can get him a better microphone and we can get him back Yeah, the show. Absolutely. Well, I think we should, um, should endeavour to interview mm. in person with him next time. Because I um, I think I, I think maybe there was a slight sort of you know who are who are you kind of thing at the beginning, but by the end, I think he was very, best very touched. Yeah, well, <laughs> don't know say, but yeah, I mean we're getting married next week. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, he was. Oh. He said he's going to come back on to uh, talk about an episode, and I think it would be extraordinarily fitting if that one was Evil Under the Sun, which yeah, you know isn't. We don't have to wait too long for that one. It'd probably be sort of end of this year, beginning of next year. So oh. Hugh will return. Which is uh, it's very exciting. I will always love you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but if you haven't listened to it yet, um, please do go ahead. It should be out on the feed now. Our chat with Hugh Fraser, delightful, delightful human being, and every bit, of, every bit as much of the gentleman you'd want him to be. Yes. Still with that Hastings twinkle in his eye. Yeah. yeah. We didn't want to let him go, but also I was extraordinarily aware that we'd had him for over an hour at the time. It yeah. Was kind of, it was kind of dinner time and everything, and I was like, God. Please, and I did send him a message afterwards just to say thank you very, very much for 
coming on. And I'll read out what he said. It was so lovely. He had, he, I think he had a genuinely nice time. He said, <laughs> I said, thank you very much for your time today. Have a lovely evening. Hopefully speak to you again soon. I'm so, you know, so grateful that you agreed to do it. And it was a real honor to meet you. And he said, it was a great pleasure to meet you both and to have such a lovely warm chat. You both made it easy to remember the good times on Poirot and relive some fine moments. I hope we'll speak again soon and that the podcast goes well. So thank you very much, Hugh Fraser. <laughs> so I'm getting Lovely that tattooed man. on my forehead, word for word, because <laughs> uh, I think life is peaked now. And mm. yeah, we can die happy now. You say that and now Pauline Moran will come on. And be like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh, also, before we move on, I know we need, we need to get into the episode, obviously, but mm. there was also one bit when he was talking about his relationship with Miss Lemon. And I was like, we know about your relationship with Miss mm. Lemon. <laughs> come on, come on. Wink. Dish it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that can be for that uh, fan fiction episode. We'll get Hugh back for that one. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love that. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> right, as you say, do you think we should get into this one? Because this is a cracking episode, especially especially Hastings, let's be honest. Yeah, oh, absolutely. If you're feeling corny, nope, mm. let's, let's just do an episode. <laughs> corny, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> that, was the flat, that was the joke, but it didn't work. Oh, sorry, I thought it was like, oh. <laughs> No, it didn't work. Let's do the episode instead. Let's talk about it. <laughs> the Cornish Mystery. Here we go. So, what's up with the Whitehaven 4, Frankie? What's up? Well, we, we, open on, we open on Hastings, trying to really fuel the uh, the crush here for me, uh, doing some very heavy breathing. What? Mm. But it's unfortunately, it's not because he found out that I have a huge crush on him. It's to alleviate pancreas pain. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. <laughs> Which also, I've heard finding out I have a crush on you elicits a similar feeling. So there we go. But the whole thing has inspired Poirot to obviously feel furious rage <laughs> about that and impart some very uh, helpful advice about how to avoid pancreas pain. And Poirot is really angry about rice. To leave the pancreas alone, Hastings, is the best advice I can give you. And look to your diet. What did you eat last night, huh? Ah, do not tell me. You went to that Indian restaurant you keep on telling me about, Nespa. The Orient has much to teach us, Poirot. Mm-hmm. You have been warned, Hastings. Do you know what is the most heavily taxed import in Belgium? Rice. The government of my country is determined to stamp it out. Look, I was brought up on rice. Rice pudding. And how are you feeling, Hastings? Well, there is a... A strong, I say, culinary aspect to this. Oh, <laughs> so, yes. uh, we'll get to that later. Anyway, we're going to have to add Cornish pasties to our recipe book. Mm, I, I, I mean, you know, I don't think anyone will mind. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Miss Lemon is watching a woman from the window, and turns out that this woman uh, is reticent to come in, but she's clearly a client, as Miss Lemon points out. But for some reason, she won't actually come and knock the door. So she goes out to meet the lady, comes back with a strange request. She won't come in, Mr Poirot. She denied wanting to see you at all at first. Then she said she'd meet you. Where? Yeah, so the lady, it turns out, is Alice Pengelly. And she's come to see, she's come all the way from Cornwall on the train to see Poirot. I don't know how she heard about Poirot, actually. But she's come to see him anyway, because unfortunately for Miss Pengelly, Mrs. Pengelly, she suspects she's being poisoned. Oh, Mr. Poirot, I'm dreadfully afraid I'm being poisoned. I see. 
What makes you think so, madame? I'm sick after nearly every meal. And I get this burning pain all down here. The doctor says it's gastritis. She says um, she's sick after nearly every meal. And she gets a mm. burning pain. A doctor says it's gastritis, but she thinks otherwise. The strange thing is, every time her husband, Edward, who is a dentist? Yes. Whenever he's away for the weekend, she seems to miraculously heal. So she's convinced that her husband wants her dead. Yes. And I would just like to point out at this point, the husband prepares all of her meals, which is why she's very suspicious of him. But it could be because he's feeding her gruel. Now, mm-hmm. I know gruel is a cereal. But I also think if you're eating something called gruel, is that not a kind of poisoning in and of itself? Mm, (laughs) Gruel? What are you, Oliver Twist? What are you, Victorian orphan? Why are you eating gruel? Please, sir. I want some. More? More? You think, like, you know, if it was a food that was only fit for people who were poor or, you know, because it was made of leftovers or something. They'd at least give it a name that made it sound attractive if you were being force-fed this junk, you know. Gruel. Gruel. Like, even porridge makes it sound a bit more inviting. Porridge. Mm -hmm. Porridge. I don't know. If I married a man and he fed me gruel, I'd probably poison myself (laughs) so that I don't have to eat it anymore. (laughs) And that could have been this plot. But when she says she thinks she's being poisoned, Poirot says, why would your husband poison you? And it turns out the motive, she suspects, is a yellow-haired hussy. (laughs) Madame. We must be brutal. Do you know of any reason why your husband should wish you out of the way? Yes, I do. There's a yellow-haired hussy that works for him. My husband's a dentist, Mr. Poirot, and nothing would do but he must have a smart girl, as he put it, to make his appointments and mix his fillings for him. Go on, madame. Well, there's talk round the town. I mean, her with her bobbed hair and her white overall. Of course, he swears it's all right, but then he would, wouldn't he? So, that's always fun. When there's yeah. a he- yellow-haired hussy on the scene. It's not fun with a brunette hussy, no. No, no, because brunettes aren't hussy. Or a blonde. It has to be yellow. The colour of custard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the hussiest colour <laughs> around. So, uh, yeah, that's her theory. She, she says her husband's fallen in love with the yellow-haired hussy. That works for him. And that he's trying to kill her to get her out of the way. And she asks if Mr. Pyro will go back to, uh, with her to Paul Gareth to save her life. Basically, she's begging him for help. She doesn't want to die, and she feels like her husband's about to kill her. So Poirot says, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, and then I'll be down with you tomorrow. Goes home. Goes home. And uh, the next day when he arrives on the train, he arrives at Polgara to discover... Dun, 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 he's too late. Yes? We wish to see Mrs. Pengelly. You can't. She's dead. Dead? Not an hour ago. Upstairs, cold. Dun, dun, dun. They are met by a very upset maid who reveals that... And literally, she's just died. Like, if they got an earlier train, they could have caught her. 15 minutes before. Yeah, it was literally like an hour. Like, if they literally... If if Poirot hadn't taken so long pomading, they could have been on the earlier train and they could have maybe stopped it. But unfortunately, she, she passed and Poirot is furious at himself and, you know, as a result, sets out to solve this case and solve this mystery. The maid instantly is like, the husband did it. Didn't I see the master with my own eyes standing just near the shelf with a weed killer this very evening? 
And didn't he jump when he turned round and saw me a-watching of him? And the Mrs. Gruel there on the table ready. Mm. And it is a bit of an old trope, isn't it, that the husband is always the one that did it. Mm. The butler mm. and the husband. Especially if your husband is a butler. That's just asking for trouble. Instantly, Poirot uh, is of the opinion that rumours don't necessarily equal truth. Mm. Um, and he says just because the whole village seems to think that Edward Pengelly, which is the husband's name, uh, is having an affair with the nurse and that he's killed his wife, that doesn't necessarily make it true. And I don't know about you, I mean, you've read all of the Poirot stories. This one seems a lot like the Aegean stables from Labours mm. of Hercules. Yes. It's, it's about the way rumours can spin out of control um, and ruin people's lives. And the only way to combat them is to bring the truth out, you know, so that people can feel ashamed of having participated in that. So, so the basic tenet of this story is that the the town think Edward Pengelly is guilty. So mm. they, I mean, the rumours get... They swirl and swirl and swirl until they become fact for all of the uh, the townsfolk. Yeah, but Poirot is determined to cut through the BS and uh, yes. uh, prove that um, you know people shouldn't be listening to that kind of rubbish. But this is the thing. This is what Agatha Christie always captures so well: is the the small town, the power of the small town gossip. Basically, mm. it's so intrinsic to so many of her books, and even when it's not set in a small town, there's always a closed circle of people. It's effectively a small town whether it's on a train or it's in, you know, a certain part of the world. And it is that, that the, the viciousness and the damaging nature of gossip. But mm. equally, Poirot and Marple actually rely so heavily on gossip a lot of the time to kind of find out yeah. what's going on and what the sentiment is. And this story in particular, it's, it, Poirot refers to it at one point as Vox Populi, Monsieur Radnor, that is why the voice of the people and mm. saying that on the one hand it's very damaging and dangerous and can be you know can lead to a wrong man being accused of murder but on the flip side of that it's those same people that won't let a murder lie mm. and will you know seek out justice so it's a kind of it's a double-edged mm. sword adam it is it's a double-edged sword i just i'm really impressed with the way that she handles her two big ventures into that kind of trope though this one mm. and um the Aegean stables from ladies yeah. i would say you know if you're gonna if you're gonna read the uh these stories i would say pair those two because um they're mm. two very different takes on on that sort of you know the how gossip can ruin lives but also how it can heal as well very clever yeah so instantly as we say the prime suspects in her death although it's not immediately ruled a murder even because the doctor is certain that it's gastritis that's killed her and mm. the doctor is quite something isn't he he is i think you should play the clip and just see how frustrated imagine oh. how frustrated david suchet's face is as the scene plays on damned nonsense every word of it was I or was I not in attendance in this case? Indeed. Did I or did I not say the first day I went to see Mrs. Pengelly, gastritis? Yes. Did I ever waver from that diagnosis? No, I did not. But this is undoubtedly... This town is a hotbed of gossip. A lot of scandal-mongering old women get together and invent God knows what. But the fact remains... They read have... these scurrilous rags of newspapers and nothing will suit them better but that someone from their town should be poisoned too. But Madame Pengelly... Why should she... anyone want to poison her? Dr Adams, will you please listen to me? Why? I'm telling you. It was yesterday that Madame Pengelly came to London in order to consult me. She believed she was being poisoned. Never. Ah, Hastings, do you hear that? Now I am a liar, huh? Dr Adams, please, allow me. Madame Pengelly believed that her husband was the poisoner. Rubbish. 
I know Edward Pengelly. Wouldn't poison his grandmother's dog. But it is not the dog of Madame Pengelly's grandmother that is being poisoned. So the doctor is largely incredibly unhelpful and a bit of a stubborn old p- <laughs> and refuses to admit that perhaps he's got this one wrong and also because he's golf buddies with Mr. Pengelly no way would he murder his wife of golfers are notoriously good people Tiger Woods so you just gotta <laughs> so yeah they're not gonna get much help from the old doctor there on this one Donald Trump plays golf as well mm, he's a golf course yeah he's a few doesn't he not casting aspersions at all anyway <laughs> But it does, it shows you that Poirot's not going to get, there's no official ruling on it at this point, And it's it's just deemed that she has gastritis. But Poirot makes the point to Hastings that the local village, as we said, they're hot on this. They're not going to let this lie. They know that he predicts, he predicts so clearly as well, that by the end of the bank holiday, or just before the bank holiday, that mm. Mr. Pengeli will be arrested for the murder of mm. Alice Pengeli. Before your bank holiday in August, Hastings... We shall see Monsieur Pengeli in the dark. 100%. So, um, they decide to visit Edward Pengeli's practice and see if they can get a glimpse at this yellow-haired hussy that uh, mm-hmm. apparently Edward Pengeli <laughs> um, was cheating on his wife with. I thought you were going to say, Edward Pengeli has got great taste in yellow-haired hussies. <laughs> well, he has, clearly, because she knocks the socks off Hastings. <laughs> it's one oh. of his greatest... I say. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Oh, right. But um, it's worth noting that on the train down to the the, the town, Hastings was practicing his backstory because they came up with this little ploy where he was going to play the second cousin of someone who knew the family. It's so good. Yeah, and it's a beautiful moment when um he's practicing his backstory and Paris like, for goodness sake, man. He was one of the Wilshire Hastings on his father's side. So it was Herbert who moved the family to Cornwall. Yes, Herbert was my father. Who was your mother then? Maud Hastings. At least she wasn't Hastings till she got married. She was Maud Willoughby. What are you doing, Hastings? Well, I'm trying to get these relationships sorted out. If I'm going to pretend I'm the son of Mrs. Pengeli's second cousin... So he's so tongue-tied when he meets said yellow-haired hussy that uh, the backstory just goes out of the window. Uh, look, uh, I'm the second cousin of... Uh... No. Oh, good morning. Look here, I've got a toothache. Oh, it, it There's really... been a bereavement. Um, Mr. Pengeli isn't in the surgery today. Ah, right. Uh, well, I'd better come back some other time, shall I? It is all right. I will look after him. Come along, Hastings. What? Oh, right. I'll come back next week, then. It's perfect. Then they go on to meet to the relatives of Mrs. Pengeli. So they meet Frida Pengeli, um, who is her niece. And a friend is how he's kind of introduced in the begin with. Josh, Jake, I can call him Josh Radner. And that's the guy that played the guy in um, How I Met Your Mother. It's not him. It's Jacob Radner. <laughs> so they go to, she goes to meet them where she's staying so they can have a chat to them about their relationship with Mrs. Pengeli and also to share their thoughts on how they think she died. And some interesting revelations come from this conversation mm. because Frida is obviously very sad that her aunt has died and you know, feels very sorry for 
for what happened. But there was also a bit of tension between them because she and Jacob are actually engaged. They're going to get married soon. Uh, Jacob Bradner is a local businessman. He has a hat shop yes. in, in the town and it's doing rather well. And they are engaged to be married. But it turns out that Mrs. Pengeli was actually in love with Jacob herself. So apparently she had a bit of a thing for Mr. Radner and when Frida found out, of course it caused a bit of bit of a bit of a split in their relationship. She was absolutely infatuated with Jacob. Jacob? Jacob Radner, you mean? Yes. Yes, I know. I mean she was over fifty, and he's not thirty yet. But there it was. She was silly about him. Well, I can see it would have made things dash difficult. Well, I just had to tell her in the end. I had to say, it was me Jacob was after. She carried on most dreadfully. She wouldn't believe a word of it and was so rude and insulting. I lost my temper, I'm afraid. I wish I hadn't. And that's an interesting point in itself when it's revealed because when Mrs Pengeli spoke to Poirot and Hastings at the beginning, she just said that they were friends and they asked if he was in a relationship or anything with, with the niece. And he, she said, oh, no, 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 nothing like that at all. No, no, no. Oh, he's just a friend. A very pleasant young fellow. Anything, uh, you know, uh, between him and your niece? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So it seems it's presented as such anyway that she's got a, a, a crazed crush on him, on Radner. Mm. And when Frida says to her, um, sorry, auntie, I think he's here for me. I'm not sure he's into you. She apparently lost her mind. And so Frida moved out of the house as a result. So they were a little bit fractured at the end of Mrs. Pengeli's life there. The relationship mm. was ruined. But interestingly, Frida does not think that Edward Pengeli poisoned her. She's mm. adamant of that yeah. and doesn't know who else it could have been. So that, 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 that was the situation. Apparently, Mrs. Pengeli apparently was in love with Jay. Jacob Radner, but was being poisoned at the same time by her husband, who mm-hmm. was apparently in love with his yellow-haired hussy. It's all hearsay, and it's all tittle-tattle, isn't it? It's all, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, no one can really corroborate anything that's that's going on. Um, Hastings, <laughs> I really found this interesting. <laughs> Hastings makes, I think, probably half a dozen comments throughout the running time of how utterly sick and depraved it is that, you know, this woman who was you know middle-aged in her 50s perhaps um could have possibly have been in love with this man who's around 30. well i'm surprised she had a gastritis go on but she's gonna run around after chaps half her age whereas you know mr pengeli and his yellow hair <laughs> definitely the same age difference if Bit not age, more yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know it's all like wow he's done well hasn't he <laughs> Yep, very much so. He's like, oh, a gross old woman. Why would he want her? <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of uh, inherent misogyny there, shall we say? But that, back, back in the day, though, that was normal, right? It was fine to marry someone. Oh, I remember it well, yes. <laughs> it was fine to marry someone like 50 years younger than you if you were a man and she was a woman. Or... It was the done thing, yes, yeah. Especially yes. if you were like, you know, especially if you were 50. Yeah, <laughs> that's the age, the prime age for marrying a 16 year old or something. Yeah. yeah. Just ask fellow golf. Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> They're all splendid chaps. Yeah, so then they they leave speaking to Frida and they run into Radner, who had, had left them to it, but was lurking outside, clearly wanting to have a bit of a chat. And he also gives some interesting insights into the situation in that house. He alludes to something going on. He doesn't say it explicitly, but he says that he knew more than Frida does. And I can tell you one thing, though. 
I'm going to keep my mouth shut about what I do know. Let sleeping dogs lie. I don't want my wife's uncle tried and hanged for murder. He implies basically that he does think Mr. Pengeli did it, but he doesn't want the drama around it. He doesn't want the uncle of his soon-to-be wife to get arrested for murder because that's a bit of a buzzkill. And it's bad for business when you're trying to flog fancy suits, I guess. Yeah. We then go to the will reading, don't we? And um, it turns out that Mrs. Pengeli had an estate of about £22,000. And £2,000 of it has gone into a trust for Frida. And the rest of it Mm. has gone to her husband. And there's a slight air of surprise around the mm. table. I won't focus in on anyone in particular. No. There's a slight air of, oh, that's very strange for some reason, which uh, will become clear very soon. Maybe it's because, obviously we'll talk about it in more detail, but maybe it's also because if Mrs. Pengeli thought her husband was trying to kill her, would you maybe change your will? Mm. Yeah. If she if she thought he was in earnest, you'd thought that she would have uh, perhaps used the, uh, used the will or lack of it mm. as a tool to stop him yes maybe he'd kill her for changing a will you see you can't mm. really win if someone wants to kill you <laughs> with a will without a will where there's a will there's a way <laughs> <laughs> well basically what happens is poirot's prediction comes true edward pengelly is indeed arrested and he is sent to the dock and the trial begins and mrs pengelly is exhumed by jap who's arrived from <laughs> scotland yard because with a mug of tea yeah with a mug of tea to exhume <laughs> over see the exhumation of the body just so they can determine cause of death turns out she was killed by poisoning yes and so the trial of edward pengeli begins and it turns into a bit of a cause celebre around the town itself everyone's like you know booing him and shouting him he's led out from his practice interestingly the blonde-haired hussy runs after them and says you've got the wrong man you've got the wrong man really puts herself out there because it's Mm. become obvious by now there are a couple of scenes where He's walking down the street and sees her and looks past between them. There's a really interesting shot where he, he's approaching the, the, the clock tower at night, isn't there? And she yeah. steps out of the shadows and a look passes between them. And it's quite clear that there is a relationship between Pengeli. Well, they're engaged at this point, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. And he, and he publicly kind of announced it, mm, which yeah. was maybe, I don't know, a little quick after the death of your wife to probably mm. start announcing your engagement. I don't know what the done thing is. When, how long do you wait? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you picked up on that point because Poirot uses that very, very mm. point, doesn't he, when he's explaining why it couldn't possibly be the way that people are thinking. Mm. Um, if, if someone was guilty, they would have been out the area ASAP and they wouldn't be been announcing um, weddings anytime soon, would they? So, yeah. So, Jap is very, very pleased. Now, it's very important that we get this across properly because it's really important that we get across how excited Jap is at this point because he's come all the way down from London and it's the most open and shut affair he thinks he's ever seen. It's (laughs) definitely the husband, even if it wasn't, Hang him anyway, because... Yeah, <laughs> Jap's just having a little culinary trip down to Cornwall. <laughs> he's living the dream. He's getting a paid vacation. He's stood stood there eating Cornish pasties. In the Literally, pub. he's munching away. There's a great gift that um, Frankie made. Shucks, thanks. There, there are two, actually. Um, one is... Well, you will get to that one at the end. But, um, <laughs> the one of Jap eating the Cornish pasty and looking suspiciously is... <laughs> It is fire. <laughs> it is. I could watch it for hours just watching him chew and chew. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. <laughs> he basically wants a holiday. So he doesn't want any bother. He doesn't want any stress, please. Okay. All he needs to do is just sit down here and watch the case, uh, watch uh, the court case unfold because he's on holiday. Leave him alone, <laughs> right? He's done the hard work. He's exhumed the lady. 
They found its poison. Now all he has to do is kick back for a week kick while uh, Edward Pengelly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Just stand by the clock tower, chewing a pasty. Please, Poirot, stop poking your nose in. Stop making my life difficult, all right? I've got a week off. Leave me to it. That's the best bit when he's sat in the pub having a little little drink in between the court. There's obviously adjourned or whatever. And then Poirot and Hastings see him in the pub and like nudge each other like, huh, let's go ruin his day. And, <laughs> they go over and he's like, he says, oh, no. Can't I have just one little murder case to myself? <laughs> it's so fun. It's brilliant. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, he cannot have one little murder case to himself. Uh, and he even begs no. like please don't spoil it for me Poirot <laughs> oh it's perfect but yeah unfortunately they're going to spoil it spoilers they're they spoil, spoil it. it basically what happens is the case is going on sorry I always start with basically, basically what's good. happening is <laughs> what's happening is Edward Pengelly is getting absolutely fried in court the first witness was Jacob Radner right mm. and he is doing his best not to make things worse for Edward Pengelly but then evidence comes out about tin that's really important Important. And Jacob Radner, of course, has to go with the truth. And his evidence, unfortunately, is sending Edward Pengelly to the hangman's gallows. It's compounded by the fact that the maid then gets up on the stand and all hell breaks loose because she mm. is just a hell, hellcat of gossip. And um, it's yeah. all, it's all you know, uh, truth when, when it comes out on the, on the stand. All of this gossip about his motives and how he did it. It's all relayed as fact when she starts screaming and yelling on the on the stand. Yeah, basically, yep. his goose is cooked. <laughs> basically, yeah, basically. <laughs> now you've got me saying it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So Poirot kind of says after witnessing that, and also uh, Doctor Adams. Oh my God, he doesn't. He basically suddenly has flipped. And on it says, oh yeah, okay, it was poison, fine. But the symptoms are exactly the same as gastritis. And then <laughs> that, that moment of obstinacy when he's like, no, this medical expert says that's not true. It's like, no, it is, because I said so. Um, but yeah, so after that, Poirot and Hastings head over to Radner's shop. They want to talk mm. to him and they bump into Radner out there and they invite him for a little drink back at their hotel. And I think that's where we're going right. to have to leave it for the time being yes yeah um i would say just before quickly there is one little moment that's quite important to look out for here mm. and that is um as they walk into the hotel to go for a drink um hastings oh, yes. they walk they walk between uh, a couple of chaps who are sort of gathered there and giving them odd looks i would say just park that for the moment it's uh, yes quite important yes local shot local town for local people it's not for <laughs> not for poirot and hastings we will break off there in case you want to slot it all together but yourself but mm. um frankie um what do you think of this episode this episode is really fun it's really fun to as i say go on a little trip it's really fun to see how angry poirot is for i would say 90 percent of this episode but then he flips his anger into pure uh, mischief uh, at torturing jap at the end so that's a lot of fun in <laughs> itself um the mystery itself we, we kind of talked about it before we started recording this one is i mean it's a solvable ish mystery there's a, there's a there's a few holes there's a lot of clues and attempt at misdirection i would say and it's kind of it's a small cast of characters to choose from i would say the mystery itself isn't that i i kind of i guessed who it was not necessarily while the why or the how in it but it's not the strongest i think i'd probably give the episode itself because it's so good and it's so funny and brilliant i would give like an 8 for terms of quality and enjoyment but for the actual mystery itself probably like a 6 or a 7 i think okay what do you think 
I yeah, I, I'm on the same page as you. Not with the scores, though. I'm afraid um, mm. there is no mystery to solve. Well, th- there is a mystery. There's a death, isn't there? Yes. Poirot is soon to reveal who's actually responsible. Yeah. We'll get to it in the denouement. Mm. Uh, uh, why why I'm scoring it this way in terms of entertainment value. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I laugh harder than any uh, at, at any other episode. I yeah. have to go with a ten in terms Whoa. of entertainment, especially the ending. Right? I love it. Right? The whole last fifteen minutes is just absolutely perfect. Yeah. I can't fault it at all. And all the way through, it's just a really interesting episode. I really like the musical motif as mm. well that goes all the way through. This they use a totally different musical motif all the way through. It's, it's got a real sense of tragedy to it, and you really do. I don't know. You feel a, a do? Do you feel like a, a sense of loss all the way through it? it? Like the whole way he couldn't get there for Mrs. Pengelly before she died, and he takes that as a personal insult, and it, you know it always becomes like this vendetta for Poirot. Mm. I really like that angle. We should have come with her yesterday, Hastings. An imbecile, a criminal imbecile. That's what I have been. Oh, I boast about my little grey cells, and now I have lost a human life, a life that came to me to be saved. I think all the performances are great. Yes. And I think Hastings in this, uh, for reasons not just the ones we've seen, but coming up is its peak Hastings. Very true. I'm not enough Miss Lemon for me, but it's more than made up for by the fact that we get the the last 15 minutes, especially where Jap is concerned, is absolutely peak Whitehaven 4 for Mm -hmm. me. It could do with a squeeze of lemon here and there. I agree. Yeah, it definitely needs (laughs) more lemon. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of entertainment value... This is one I watch a lot because mm. I find it absolutely insanely entertaining. It's the one we watched, yeah. isn't it, when we made that roast dinner. And we were both on the floor at the end. It's yeah. so funny. It was great. In terms of mystery, I'm going to give this a three. Ooh. Because, because, yeah, it's the the mystery is so weak. Mm. It's not that the, the situation is intriguing, but the way it's solved is, I'd say, really weak it's yeah it's, it's it's almost pathetic it's also quite different for poirot it's not his usual mm. yeah. kind of way but we'll talk about that after the music yeah cool yeah we'll definitely talk about it a bit more because i don't really want to spoil it in case in case people do want to go away and yeah. solve it but in terms of sick burns what's your favorite oh there are some crackers in this one truly mm-hmm. <sighs> there's i mean as i said poirot is pretty angry throughout this whole episode and i really enjoy how angry he is constantly i think probably there is the whole speech when hastings has just seen the stunning yellow haired hussy <laughs> he's like oh she's so so stunning and he's like hastings you admire the f-. he really lays into him in that moment with uh you prostrate yourself to before all who are good looking and you're struck by the <laughs> struck pale by the yellow haired hussy <laughs> my favorite bit when hastings is like oh well there you are you see that just shows women are always saying i understand them rather too well really hastings i should like to hear them say so myself and he's like, really, Hastings? I would like to hear them say so myself. Because <laughs> I don't think any woman's ever said that to him. Oh, it's so good. It is really good. Mm. What about you? Uh, both of mine are in the denouement. And both of them are physical. They're not verbal. Oh, so, um, yeah. I will get to mine. There are two for me. And they are, they're both just absolutely hilarious moments. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on for mine. Um, yes. Can I also give a special shout out for the moment where uh, Poirot asks Hastings what a hussy is? What is this hussy, Hastings? Mm. It means the sort of girl who's sort of no better than she ought to be, kind of thing. No better than? That's it. 
He explains it in the most gentlemanly way, doesn't he? That's it, because he doesn't want to talk badly of women. He wouldn't do that, so... No no better than she ought to be. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> the hell does that <laughs> sentence even mean, anyway? No idea. But that's, it's the way that Poirot goes like, ah, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> ah, yes. Gives a little frown. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, good. There it's is great. also a line in the denouement that I want to talk about, but we can talk about that after the music. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's go there because um, I can't wait to talk about the ending of this. This is just so, so much fun. Anyway, um, yes, if you want to go and solve, let's do that now. You need to pause it at around the let's say thirty-five and a half minute mark. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's quite a lot of episode left. It's about you know, mm. 12, 12, 13 minutes left. Yes. So in in that way, it's um it's quite interesting. But uh, yes, if you want to join us afterwards, then it'd be great to see you. Um, there's lots of fun to come. Believe me. Yes, and you have to uh, tell us what you think of this episode. You have to. That's a very aggressive wording, Frankie. You have to tell us what you think of this episode, and you can do that on our social channels at Labours of Hercule, on Twitter or Instagram, or you can email us at bonjour at thelabourshercule.com because I love to read your emails. So, cool. <laughs> cool. Well, hopefully, we'll see you in a few moments. Welcome back. Are you ready to solve this? Mm-hmm. So, Frankie, the killer was... Dun-dun-dun! It was Jacob Rees-Mogg. Nope, Jacob Radner! <laughs> what? <Yes>. what? <laughs> <laughs> Not very rad of Radner murdering <laughs> Mrs. Penkelly. <laughs> the least. There's a lovely scene that follows what where we broke off. Um, so they've just passed the gentleman who are loitering outside. They've gone to uh, Poirot's hotel room. Hastings pours Radner a sherry. Poirot sits at his desk and starts saying, um, so your name is Jacob Radner, right? And scribbling something away on the pad. And Radner is intrigued and says, yes. Well, it would probably be best if we just played a clip. Eh bien, it is uh, Jacob, n'est-ce pas? I'm sorry? Jacob Radner? Yes. Jacob Radner? Of 21 4th Street, yes. What are you doing? Well, Captain Hastings and I are very experienced, Monsieur Radnor, in matters of this kind. And we both feel that our friend, Monsieur Pengeli, has one loophole of escape. Loophole? What loophole has he got? that you should sign this little piece of paper. What is it? A confession that you murdered Madame Pengeli. So it transpires that Poirot is basically like, hey, look, Radner, I know you did it. It's very obvious that you did it. And uh, basically, if you want to potentially not swing for this... You're going to sign this confession that I've written out for you, which is very nice of him to provide a template for him mm-hmm. to just simply sign. Uh, he's like, and then if you if you sign this and admit what you've done, I'm going to give you a head start. 
and you can get out the door quickly now and maybe you'll get away in time. I mean, I don't think you will, but maybe you will. At first, Radnor is all like, oh, oh, of course not. And he basically then breaks it down and says exactly how he did it and why he did it. You made love to that plain middle-aged woman. You implanted into her mind doubts about the fidelity of her husband. You introduced arsenic into her food, being very careful never to do so while her husband was away. You were in the house while her husband was preparing the gruel for his wife, and you introduced the fatal dose. The rest is easy. Very interesting. Very ingenious. But why do you tell me this? Because, Monsieur Ravnaud, I represent... Another law. I represent Madame Pengeli. So that's the uh, solution. Basically, Radner was making love to Mrs. Pengeli, or Ooh, made gross her feel. Woman. Yeah, that should work the other way around. <laughs> I mean, he says make, making love to her. I don't know if it was, you in know, a vintage the, way we, the way we think of it these days. I think it was more, you know, flirtation. Pitching woo. Yeah, being amorous, should we mm. say. Um, making her feel uh, as though she wasn't old and past it. I think that's. <laughs> For an that's old past it woman, you're very attractive, perhaps, he said to her. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, uh, what he did was he got inside her mind, basically, mm. made her feel loved and appreciated, and started planting thoughts about her husband's fidelity. And very cleverly, he always made sure that Mr. Pengeli was home when he was in the house and poisoning her food. Yes. My problem with it is mm-hmm. there's no way of. There's no way that Poirot could have known any of this. And it does rely on him extracting a confession, which, as you say, is very unlike Poirot. There's no, there are no clues in this episode. No. It's just all supposition. This must have happened, and you must have done this because this. And you think to yourself, at what point did he go, ah, oh, there's the proof I needed? Because there isn't any, is there? Well, not directly. It is, as you say, it's entirely kind of circumstantial evidence, which would not hold up in court in this day and age, I mm. think. But obviously back in, it was a bit easier in the 30s and 40s to, to do that. Uh, I think they're not, you're right, there aren't any like clear, hard clues in this, but there are moments that you kind of go, okay. And this is how I, I twigged it was him because realistically, number one, who else who else could it have been? That's literally the only way I got it as well. Yeah. Because there couldn't have been anyone else, right? But also it was when the wet the will reading, when it's read out and hmm. you find out that she's getting two grand and her husband's getting the rest of her estate, that it does cut to him looking a little hmm. bit kind of pissed off about it, a little bit perturbed. Fine. But his whole plan was the money goes to the husband and then the niece. And then if he can frame the husband, which he kind of does in court, then the husband's money goes to the niece anyway. So the moment of of him going, oh, at the will was kind of pointless. I mean, it was like it was going to happen that way anyway, wasn't it? Even if the husband got nothing and went to... Look, I'm not saying he was a perfect criminal. (laughs) He's a bit of an idiot. But there was... There was... (laughs) He's perfect, okay. And he's made love to me and we're having a... We're going to get married and have a great time. No, he's... Yeah, he's not the smartest. But also, I think it was maybe through that testimony that he gave in court where he was trying not to incriminate him, but he kind of... He was trying not to... He was trying to appear not to incriminate him, wasn't exactly. he? But it was his evidence yeah. that really damned 
Edward Penguin. And, yeah. and even the conversation he had with Poirot back at the shop where he's like, I know more than Frida does, but I don't want mm. the drama. Like, I hate drama. You know, people are like, I hate drama. I just hate it. But then they love it. He's one of those people. Mm. Yeah. You're right. It's entirely circumstantial evidence. And it's Poirot he admits to it basically afterwards. Like, yeah, I had to get that written confession because I ain't got nothing on <laughs> this one. We have no shadow of proof against him. The only chance was to frighten him into confession. Literally, it just got nothing. There's no proof. And he basically says, if you sign this thing saying that you did it, I'll give you 24 hours. And Jacob Radner is kind of like, should I, should I, should I, should I not? It's ha- it's Hastings that um, really pulls the trigger, isn't it? Because Hastings goes to the window. Yeah. He cleverly spotted those two men out there. And he says, you can't get away, Radner. Look out of that window. Those two men have orders not to lose sight of you. So Radner looks out and sees the two men that they passed on the way and that Hastings has cleverly brought into the plot and says, Damn you! Damn you! He is, he's trying for Waverly status, Mm. this Radner. He's trying to out Waverly Waverly (laughs) and I'm not having it. He's not strong enough. He's not that damned offensive. You're damned offensive. He is a dirty swine, though. Dirty swine. He's just damned. <laughs> he's a dirty swine, and he's damned, but he's not offensive in the way he wants mm. to be. But yeah, Hastings pulled it out of the bag there. He really did, yeah. So basically, um, he signs it and then flees, and he's uh, he's off. He's off. He's off and running. He's got his 24 hours. So Poirot and Hastings you know, jauntily carry the, uh, the uh, signed confession over to the courthouse, where the, where the trial is still going on. And, and there's a beautiful moment where uh, Poirot says... What's going on with these two guys outside? Hastings, those two men of yours, who are they? I haven't the foggiest idea. I just noticed them standing there when we came in. But that is sheer brilliance. Oh. Well. Your peculiar oriental practices, which I tease you about, are obviously working wonders on your grassers. Maybe it's the rice. I hope not, Hastings. I just spotted them on the way in. I thought it would be useful to say that. It's genius. It cho- totally Bloody changes Poirot's uh, view on Oriental foods. <laughs> <laughs> the power of rice. The best part is when they're walking to the courthouse and Hastings is going, so, like, how are we going to give him 24 hours? Like, how's that going to work? And Poirot's like, I'm not actually going to give him 24 hours, Hastings. Obviously not. And the line is so good. Where are we going? To place this into the hands of the proper authorities. But that's not for 24 hours. Hastings, did you really believe that I would let a cold-blooded murderer get off Scottish free? (laughs) (laughs) Scottish free! I screamed. I I paused it and rewinded it for Jaffa to watch because I was like, Scottish free! Best line ever. Um, So basically, the the, the trial is brought to a halt. New evidence has been presented and... um, it looks like Edward Pengelly is off the hook because they now have a confession from Jacob Radner. The only person who doesn't really know anything about all of these shenanigans that have been going on around the courthouse is Jap, who's still stood on the street eating a pasty, thinking, oh my goodness, I've got a few more days of this. It's absolutely beautiful. I've got nothing to do. So basically, at the, at the courthouse is my, one of my favourite burns, and it's a total silent burn. It's when yes. the lawyer says, thank you very much. And, and Hastings just interjects, if, if you could start the search in about 24 hours. Uh, there is just one thing. Uh, we did promise Mr. Radner that we'd give him a 24-hour start. <laughs> we did promise him he could have 24 hours. And, and Poirot looks at him with this look of thunder as if to say, for God's sake, man, what are you doing telling him that? What are you doing? 
<laughs> and it's when the, the, the lawyer sort of like looks at Poirot and Poirot goes, <laughs> and then the lawyer disappears. And it's the look after that that Poirot gives to Hastings. That's one of my favourite burns ever. He's just like... <laughs> If looks could kill, Hastings would have been struck down very swiftly <laughs> with that It's look. one of the funniest moments Oof. ever in a Poirot episode. It's amazing. It's only followed by, I think, my, my favourite comedy moment in all of Poirot. After that, they're heading back and they bump into Jap and he's Jap's on his pasty uh, wagon. He's having a great time. And he's just like, oh, Poirot, you've got to try one of these things. This is amazing. <laughs> like, Living the dream. I've got <laughs> pasties for everyone. He's like throwing them around and people enjoy them. Uh, and he's like, are you still poking around in my murder? And Poirot's like, oh, no, you know, we're going to like leave it to you. or We're going to go get a curry and all this. And so oh, they're having a little bit of a chat. So then... They're like, okay, well, we'll see you later, Jap. And Poirot's like, quickly, Hastings, we need to get out of here because I don't want to be visible when <laughs> Jap finds out what's happened. <laughs> he ruined his case. Plus, he's going to have to go running after a murderer that we've just let go. So, yeah, he's going to be pretty yep. off. And then what happens, Adam? Well, they get onto the back of this cart thing. <laughs> it's such a beautiful <laughs> moment because Poirot's like, go as fast as you can, please. <laughs> and as it's riding away... Hastings remarks that, oh, look, Jap's about to be told the good news. And this Bobby runs up the street and says... Sir, the inspector says, can you come, please, sir? The trial's been adjourned. Adjourned? What for? Mr Radner's confessed, sir. Confessed? To the murder. He confessed to that French gent. In writing. Poirot! What you cannot see. <laughs> the fist shake. Describe. <laughs> the fist shake from... <laughs> It's one of those old-fashioned... <laughs> and then you get a shot of David Touche on the back of this jangling truck going, can we go faster at all? Oh. And the best thing is Poirot on the back of it is like, looks so meek and he's like sat up and all straight, like bouncing around as he's going, oh, it's so perfect. It's so funny. It's, perfect it's ending. absolutely hilarious. It, we're not doing it justice by describing it, but when no. you see it, you see how... You know, the little conversation in the street about hot courage and things and all that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah when it's it's the best. just such a such a beautiful ending. It's so fun. As I say, the mystery. Not really mm. a mystery. Um I yeah, weak. a bit weak, but um the episode itself is so funny. I know that some people don't watch the episodes when they listen to this, but please watch. Mm. It's worth it for this ending. Mm. Like we say, the mystery, meh. But, oh my God, you, it's worth it for the comedy and it will bring you so much joy. The last 15 minutes in particular are worth <laughs> it. You have to. You have to. It's so good. Everything from when uh, Jacob Bradner goes into Poirot's hotel room is just absolute comedy gold. Oh. So that was the Cornish mystery. Mystery solved. Yeah, an episode I love, but not for the mystery. It was a fun one. It's a good one. What, Adam, what episode's next? <laughs> it's The Disappearance of Mr. Davenheim. Next. Which is, uh, yeah, episode. It's got a very good mystery. Let's just say that. Yes. That'll be an interesting one to talk about. Well, listener, did you solve it at home? Did you get more concrete clues than Poirot did in this one? Than anyone did? <laughs> Tell us how you did it. Tell us what you thought. You can email us at the email address, which I've said a hundred times, or you can tweet us, you can post on Instagram. Just tell us what you think. Mm, yes. And uh, until next time, it's been wonderful spending some more time with you, Frankie. And uh, Likewise. Long made, long made Always. <laughs> I love making this show. It's great. <laughs> Seriously, it is the best. I don't know how we, this is the best. Well done for coming up with this, Adam. It was a good idea. Well done for saying yes, that you want to be on it. So. 
It all worked out. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) And you now have Hugh Fraser in your phone. (laughs) Oh my God. Seriously. I've deleted all my other contacts. I don't need any other ones. (laughs) And I have a screen grab. I'll post the screen grab of the interview on. Oh my God. You definitely should because that is a beautiful beautiful picture, isn't it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks everyone. Been lovely solving this case with you. Mm, that was the Cornish mystery. Join us next time for the disappearance of Mr. Davenheim. It's a good one. Au revoir, mes amis. Au revoir. If you'd like to keep up to date with what we're doing or get in touch with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Labours Hercule. We're also on Instagram if you like pictures at Labours of Hercule. And if you were born in the 1920s yourself, then you can be all old-fashioned and email us at bonjour at thelabourzofhercule.com. That's it from us. See you next time. Au revoir, mes amis. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.